Good morning. My name is Nicole Jones, and I'm going to be reading from Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. All right, thank you, Nicole. Hey, real quick, um, in the year one recap, I forgot to recognize Zach, who has about 90% of the Sundays led us in worship over the last 12 months. So, dude, thank you for serving in that way, man. Uh, You're doing a great job. We love you. Keep up the good work. So, thank you. Uh, My name's Tanner House. If you're a guest, I'm I'm the lead pastor here. Under your chair, there's a visitor card. If you want to take a second and fill that out, we'd love an opportunity to connect with you. Also, on the back, on the table back there, there's some Bibles. If you need a Bible, um, you can grab one of those or someone raise your hand and someone will bring it to you. Um, And if you don't own a Bible, you can keep that Bible. That's yours as our gift to you you for you to read and treasure the Word of God. So... That's for you. They're back there on both communion tables. Hey, we're in a series right now, Vision and Values. I'm just wanting to recenter and refocus our church on where we're headed, who we convictionally feel called to be. And so basically, I want to just give us the reasons why we're doing what we're doing. And so out of that, we have three visions or three buckets, if you will, of ministry activity, gospel, community, and mission. Um, The gospel, everything we do will flow from our understanding of, of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished on the cross through his resurrection. Our belief of Jesus informs everything else that we do as a church, and hopefully it informs everything that you do as a believer. Out of that comes a relationship with Christ in which we are loved in spite of ourselves. And out of that love, it motivates us to one another um, in community. And it motivates us to go to those around us who don't know Christ. It motivates us to go to the nations to plant churches and share the gospel. And it motivates our activities in our homes and in our families and in our neighborhoods. The gospel is the most important thing we do. Without the gospel, without a right understanding of who Jesus is, we are no better than a social club. Without it, we're doomed to an eternity separated from God. And so that's gospel. In the last couple of weeks, we've, we've been talking about mission. And, and we view mission in terms of neighborhoods, nations, and next generations. That is, how then are we going to take the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus, to the ends of the earth? And that includes but is not limited to overseas missions, mission trips, church planning, planning um, community groups in other places in our community, missions to our neighbors, and discipling our kids. And so today I want to I spend some time with what I believe for the Christian, 
for the person who has received Christ into their heart, I want to contend with you this morning that for your growth in Christ, what we're going to talk about this morning is the most important thing we do on the back end of your conversion. The things we're going to talk about this morning, I believe in so much. I've experienced so much life change in myself. I've seen so much life change in some of you uh, because of our community groups. So we push it here harder than we push anything else. So again, we're back in this vision and value series. And uh, in terms of community, I want to submit three things to you this morning uh, just for you to consider. This message is going to be a little more topical in nature, um, but I, I still think this is important that I want to talk about community. So here are my three contentions. Number one, without community, you will never be able to fully grow into who God has made you to be. Without community, you will never be able to fully grow into who God has made you to be. Number two, as a people made in the image of God, we need and desire community because our God is in community with himself. And number three, community is more than a program or a hangout. So, our goal this morning is to address these three contentions. I'm going to submit them and then defend them. Um, and I just want us to all get on the same page of what we mean when we say community. So some of you, if you've been uh, in Christian circles long enough, may have your understanding of community pushed on a little bit, like especially if you grew up in like a Sunday school model or like you are a member of seven Bible studies a day, like that whole thing. You might have your understanding pushed on a little bit. And the other side of it is some of you, Look for every possible way out to not be in a community group here. And so I love you. I don't necessarily agree with you. The other thing, kind of the middle of those two, is some of you look for every possible excuse to miss your group gatherings. And there's a ton of grace for you. But before we jump in, I just want you to know a few things. We're all busy. We all have stuff going on. I have a bunch of things every single day that I feel like I have to do for church. My kids are doing sports right now. I get it. I understand where you're coming from. But here's what else I know. Because of this passage that we're talking about today, you need to know that you are actually called to this. You are called to community. This is only an expectation that I have on you as your pastor, this is only a leadership expectation on you uh, from your church because it's an expectation from the Bible. So new year, new you, right? Your work will be there tomorrow, I promise. If you are too busy for community, you are too busy. But just be honest with yourself for one second. You make time for what's important to you. So, now that your guard's up and you're ready to fight, uh, let's pray, and then, and then let's, we can be friends. Let's pray, and then we're going to just hop into this text. Just stick with me. If I've already made you mad, don't check out on me. It's going to be good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you. Lord, I pray for a lot of unity around this room and in this moment, Lord 
Help us to see our need for you, our need for your grace, our need for your truth, our need for your nearness, Lord, our need for the gospel. And then, Lord, help us to see our need for one another, for our growth in you. Lord, you have given us the church as a gift. So teach us to walk in that. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. Church, if you're willing, and ask that you'd pray for yourself. That the Lord would soften your heart to some of these things that you need to hear this morning. Lord, do a work in us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Acts 2, beginning in verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All right, so let's break this down a little bit. We need to understand what's taking place around this time in Scripture, in this verse, in history. Uh, This verse is a transitional verse in the Bible. So at this point in biblical history, Jesus has just ascended into heaven, and he gave the 11 remaining apostles a command to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And so in Acts 2, we have what is known as, as Pentecost. The 11 remaining apostles of Jesus, the text says in Acts 2 verse 1, were all together in one place. And suddenly, the text says, like a mighty rushing wind, a sound fills the entire house. And then these divided fire pillars uh, appear. And they came and they rested upon the apostles. And verse 4 says that these apostles of Jesus were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterances. So as this is happening, people from all over the world, verse 5 calls them devout men from every nation under heaven. They are gathered together and they could hear what these men were saying in their own native language. To their amazement, these men from other places knew that these apostles were just Jewish fishermen from Galilee. And now all of a sudden, they can speak in different languages. They're like, these guys have been hitting the sauce pretty early today. And so Peter gets up and he's like, guys, we're not drunk. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to preach. He preaches the gospel to them, and he calls them to repent. And the text says 3,000 people were saved and baptized that day. So in our text this morning, we see the first New Testament church. This is the first New Testament gathering of believers. And our verse today, our passage today, gives us insight into what was happening at this church. It says, they... The 3,000 converts had devoted themselves to some things. Four things to be exact. So first things first, when you see this word devoted, we should all get on the same page as to what it means. I think a lot of us would say that, yeah, I'm devoted to the stuff, whatever, whatever that blank is for you. A lot of us are devoted to some things fully, right? And then some of us are devoted to some things until we get a better offer. That's, that's just life. Like, um, but 
let's just get a working definition of what it means to be devoted. Uh, Megan Prado, she's on our sermon reading team. She sent me these definitions that we're going to be using this morning, and I thought they were all really good and helpful. So to first, to be devoted means to give all or a large part of one's time or resources to a person, an activity, or a cause. And our text says they were devoted. This New Testament church is devoted to four things. Let's take a look at these things one by one while keeping the contentions I mentioned earlier in my intro in view. So contention number one, without community, you will never be able to fully grow into who God has made you to be. First, this newly gathered church devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings which in our case is the Word of God, which is the Bible, the holy, divinely inspired scriptures. These scriptures are set apart. They're holy. They have no equal. They are given through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and they are useful for training and teaching and rebuke and correction. And the early church understood this. They gave all Remember, because they're devoted. They gave all or a large part of their time and resources to know Jesus through the scriptures. Man, I think there needs to be a strong emphasis here on this one. Because everything else we do comes out of our understanding of who Jesus is. And we can only fully know Jesus by knowing his word, by reading about him in his word. We can only know how to follow him by doing what he says to do in his word. Man, I want to be a church that relies heavily on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Meaning, you are praying for the presence of God to fill your heart and for you to experience the Lord deeply in worship. Meaning, you are dependent on God, the Spirit, for obedience to God Meaning you aren't just doing the religious stuff, but that God is present and God is active in fellowship with you when you commune with him. When you see the Holy Spirit working in your life, when you are experiencing the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be led more deeply to the word of God, not away from it. Healthy congregations, healthy churches, healthy Christians will know what the Bible says, and then they will do what the Bible says. So they devoted themselves to the scriptures. Next, the text says they devoted themselves to fellowship. Another way of saying that is they devoted themselves to one another. They gave all or a large part of their time and resources to each other. One of my uh, pastoral man crushers, a guy named Tony Merida, he says, The word of God is the diet for healthy churches, and devotion to one another is the exercise regimen. What we see in the first century, what we see in this first century church, is a shared life. It's a common way of life. They were united in their confession of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and out of that spiritual unity... There is a practical expression of love and service to one another. Marita says it like this. Such fellowship with one another is tied to the Christian's fellowship with the Father. 
out of our common fellowship with the Father through Jesus, we enjoy fellowship with our spiritual brothers and sisters. If people are out of fellowship with Christ, then they will be out of fellowship with the church. And if people are out of fellowship with Jesus' people, that is an indicator that they may be out of fellowship with Jesus. That's how strong the Christ-Church union is. To simplify that a little bit, if you aren't meaningfully connected to the body of Christ, man, that may be an indicator that you aren't connected to Christ. If you were connected to Christ, you'd be actively engaging in the things of Christ. Listen, there's grace for you to struggle here. There's grace for you if you are like not in a good spot. That, there's grace, 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 grace. But if you are habitually and consistently disconnected and disengaged from the church and more than one church... You may need to consider if you are connected with Christ. If you have no desire for the things of the Lord, that is an issue. Within the context of Christian fellowship, we see the command that Jesus gives in John 13 to love one another in the way that Christ has loved us. Love each other the way Jesus has loved you. That might be one of the most convicting verses in all of Scripture for me. Man, we see this worked out with all the other one another's of Scripture. Within the context of Christian community, this is where we are actually being the church to each other. There's a bunch of these like one another statements in the New Testament. But for examples, in the Scriptures, I'm going to fly through these. So if you're taking notes, I'm sorry, and also I can get this list to you after. Um, In the scriptures, we are called to serve one another in love, as it says in Galatians 5. Bear one another's burdens, that's Galatians 6. Be kind and compassionate to one another, Ephesians 4. Don't lie to one another, Colossians 3. Encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians 4. Watch out for one another, Hebrews 10. Confess our sins to each other and be healed, James 5. And on and on and on and on we could go. And I'm going to get into that in a minute. But sometimes it's hard to cultivate an edifying culture in this church. Meaning we're slow, really slow, to practice some of the things that are meant to grow us and meant to grow one another and to improve us spiritually as a family. There's a million reasons why that's true, Um, but here's what I'll say about it. Out of this fellowship, within this body of Christ, the goal is for you to be fully known and fully loved by others who are trying to be fully known and fully loved by others. Because before God, we are fully known and fully loved, broken and needy sinners who in spite of that, we still get to be fully loved and fully known by God who sent his son to redeem us. And community reminds our hearts of these truths and of our need to apply these truths. And may we be people 
who want to love and serve each other in the same way. Christians, that's for you. So the third thing we're seeing this early church, they're devoted themselves to the scriptures. They're devoting themselves to each other. Now they're devoting themselves to breaking bread together. They gave all or a large part of their time and resources to remembering Jesus' sacrifice through communion. This means they gathered together and they took the Lord's Supper. They took communion and remembered the sacrifice of Jesus to them and for them. I don't want to get into it. I don't want to argue about the reasons why we take communion every week. Um, we'll get there in future sermons. We believe that that's the biblical precedent. But I do want to just say that it is the proper response to what Christ has accomplished on the cross. This is a visible expression of worship. Not only for us as a gathered church, but it also propels mission forward as we remember the cross of Christ together every single week. Then the text says they devoted themselves to prayer. They gave all or a large part, part of their time and resources to praying together. The book of Acts shows us just how disciplined this early church was. Just to pray. Just to be together and pray for one another. Pray about the things they need. And I must confess, church, pastoral confession, I do not pray enough. And if I could just admit a suspicion, I'm probably not the only one. Right? This is a safe place. I was thinking this week as I was writing this, I wonder how much of my discouragement or how much of my frustration or whatever negative thing I could conjure up when I'm in an emotionally frail spot, how much of that would just give away if I committed more to just praying? Man, the early church prayed about everything. They prayed corporately often. They prayed individually for everything. This church, these early churches that you read about in the New Testament, they did not have anything. There was no fun dome Jerusalem for them to gather in. But what they lacked in resources, man, they made up with in devotion to Jesus through prayer. And what would change in your life? What would change in your life if you committed more time to commune with Jesus? What would change in our groups if we committed more time to praying together and if we actually held one another accountable to praying? And what would change if we just intentionally set out to pray with each other and for each other? So, yep, contention one. Without community... Without this thing, without this type of devotion, you will never be able to grow fully into who God has made you to be. Because the precedent set forth by the first century church, they were together. They were pushing each other to holiness. This first church was not less sinful than you or I. They just seem to care more about fighting sin and fighting against it and being together in relationship and holding each other accountable to the things of Jesus. And look what was taking place 
because of their commitment to each other. Verse 43 and following, it says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The miracles being done by the apostles, they were affirming the apostles' teaching. The saints in the first church were gathered together, meeting needs where they could, being radically generous to the point of it being painful and hurting, uh, being not like physically but materialistically. They were being generous to each other. They were gathering daily for communion and worship and having each other in their homes and all of this was leading them to worship and leading them to mission. And people were being saved every single day. What an amazing testimony to God's faithfulness and to this church's obedience. And listen, we serve the same God who is capable of doing something like that again. But I would also contend this. He's not forcing you to do anything. You can follow him in obedience, or you can just keep doing whatever you want to do. But you are missing out if you're sitting idly by, if you are not being obedient to Jesus. You are missing out on God's benefits and God's blessings when you are not pursuing him in obedience. When we are neglectful in prayer or loving one another or any other of the kingdom business, it is we who miss out on the joy and the peace of God that he is offering. And not, not to mention, one day, one day, every single one of us will stand before Christ and give an account for our decisions. So this early church was gathered. They were devoted and they looked more like a family than what our Western minds probably associate with what a church is. We're going to discuss more about that in Contention 3. So that's Contention 1. Contention 2 is this. As people made in the image of God, we need and desire community because our God is in community within himself. We are created by community for community. Genesis 1, uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 said this, says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Our identity, first and foremost, is in the image of God. His nature, his attributes, they're reflected in us. And at creation, the Trinity is in view here. God is a community within himself. From the beginning, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are present and active at creation. Each equal in worth, each equal in dignity, each unique in role and function. 
Three distinct people, yet one God. One God in three persons. C.S. Lewis, in the only way that he can, (laughs) describes the, the Trinity at work in creation as the great dance. He says that each are there as unique equals at the center, creating small things by their smallness and great things by their greatness, and all the patterns linked and looped together by the unions of kneeling with a sceptered love. Each person equal to the other as God, moving in unity, moving in harmony with the other because they're together, they're one. What we see in creation is that God has created everything. And he places the first man, Adam, in the Garden of Eden to rule and have dominion over it. I saw this Matt Chandler clip. Uh, He's a pastor at a church in the Dallas area. I saw this sermon clip of his this week where he was talking about this moment in the garden where God brings the animals to Adam for Adam to name. The animals are coming to Adam and he's looking at them and he's saying, not like me, not like me, not like me, not like me, not like me. There is no one. There's nothing like Adam in the garden. And so as God sees Adam, there's no suitable helper for him. Look at what happens. Genesis 2 verse 18 says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So Adam takes a nap. God takes a rib from Adam. Adam wakes up and looks at Eve. In the like ancient times version, he's like, dang. He says, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, out of me, mine, like me. And look, something beautiful is happening here. Out of this, like me, we have some amazing potential to be a driving force in one another's lives for the sake of our growth in Christ. And I now look at you and look at another person who is just like me. You're a sinner just like me. You struggle just like me. You were saved by grace just like me. You are being sanctified just like me. You make dumb decisions just like me. And if Jesus is all that we have in common, I can look at you and say, like me. And out of that like me, we can have all sorts of conversations that lead us to love and unity and grace for one another. Man, because of the gospel of Jesus... Because of the cross of Christ and the resurrection, the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. It's been broken down. And not just in terms of our access back to God, the, to, not just in terms of our access back to God the Father. That's the best news ever. Christ built a bridge for us back to God. That's the best news ever. But because of that bridge, We now have been changed by grace through faith in Christ. And so, not only has the dividing wall of hostility been broken down between us and God, the dividing wall has been broken down between us, between one another, in our relationships. The gospel frees us to love people in Christ. 
In the kingdom of God, there is no distinction, as it says in Galatians, between Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, male or female. We are all one in Christ. There is no space for racism in the kingdom of God. There is no space for classism in the kingdom of God. There is no space for nationalism in the kingdom of God. There is no space for sexism in the kingdom of God. The gospel frees you to love Jesus and to love people who don't look like you, vote like you, parent like you, or any other man-made distinction you can muster up because in Christ we are all one and we all need the same grace given by our Lord Jesus. The goal of Christian community is not that we all look the same. It's that we worship Jesus together in love and in unity for one another. And out of that, we are led to pursue others on mission with Christ. Community is centered on Jesus. The goal is growing together in godliness. Community, a.k.a. common unity. As the church is centered on Jesus so should our weekly small group gatherings be. So here are a few of my experiences within the context of Christian community thus far in my few short years of doing this. We know more about God through community than we ever would alone. And some of you have been walking with Jesus a long time. And I need you to encourage me to keep going in life, in my relationship with Christ, when life gets hard. We are oftentimes so blind to our own sin. I need you all to be bold enough and love me enough to call me out on that. God designed us for relationships, so life is more fulfilling in Christian community. Therefore, Christian community is worth fighting for. Man, if you're lonely or disconnected, I would say, are you meaningfully connected to your Christian community group? And by meaningfully connected, I mean, do you do more than just show up? But are you checking in with people are you putting in time to practice some of these one another's in Scripture that we talked about earlier? Also, know this. Community is super messy, and so sometimes you're going to pursue people to no avail. Because we are a broken and sinful bunch. We're going to sin against each other in some pretty serious ways. But within the context of Christian community, we have the opportunity to model biblical conflict resolution. And in doing so, we model the grace of Jesus given to us. Listen to me. You are a sinner first. You are sinned against secondly. If you remember your position before Christ intercepted your life, we will be more apt to show grace for one another. Some of you carry around like sin and shame, like, like a dog on a leash. But I bet, no, excuse me, but within the context of Christian community, James 5, may I remind you, tells you to confess your sins one to another and be healed. 
Your community is meant to be a safe place for you to practice whole life obedience to Jesus. Confess your sins to God and confess them to your brothers and sisters and be healed. Be free, brothers and sisters, to love God and love others, especially those in the household of faith. So that's contention two. We're designed for community. Number three, and this one's more practical and more like of our application for the day. So number three, community is more than a program or a hangout. Community is not a meeting that you attend. It's a lifestyle. Community is a family. You cannot do it without investing time into it. The most significant growth moments don't happen, generally speaking, they don't happen in circles of 12. They happen while you're doing stuff, doing life alongside each other. Look, I'll say this. Community is not optional. What I mean is this. I don't mean that you can never, ever miss your group. But again, some of you just miss to miss for a million other reasons. And I am asking this of you as your pastor because I believe Jesus wants your whole life to commit to one another and commit to this church fully because that is what the scripture is calling you to. Community is not a program to attend because participation in programs are optional. It's also not an obligation, meaning something you do out of duty, because Jesus commands you to be in fellowship with one another. We should delight in doing life with others and other believers in Jesus. So here's what I'm asking. If you are a covenant member of Redeemer Odessa, I am asking you to commit to your group. To commit yourselves fully to your group in order to commit yourself fully to your growth in Christ. Mark and I were talking about some things this week. And here's what I need. Here's what we need. Here's what you need. We need you all to shoulder your portion of the load in discipleship. We need you to teach one another what it means to follow Jesus. We need you all to commit to doing life together and not just show up when your schedule will allow it. What if, what if you made your group a priority on your schedule and everything else was secondary? If you know your group meets at Wednesdays at 7, don't schedule meetings or dinners with folks at that time. Well, pastor, I have to work or I don't get paid. Well, that's fair. But I'd also say that God has proven himself faithful to provide for you. So let's just trust that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Man, I think the call this morning for you, especially if you're a covenant member of Redeemer Odessa, is just to really consider your investment here. And I'm not asking for like church health's sake or numbers' sake. I'm asking because I want you to grow in Christ. I'm asking because of your own growth in Christ. Are you really giving Jesus the best of you? 
Is Jesus getting the best of your time, your talents, your resources? And I think we could all just say, like, yeah, there's some, there's some areas that we need to grow in. There's grace for that. Grace to you. Peace from Jesus. I'll also say this. It is a-okay for you to be where you're at. It is not okay for you to stay there. Here's what I don't want. We are so flooded with all kinds of opinions and options and so many different voices and competing voices of our time and our affections and our mental headspace, and we hear and we allow some things to rule and reign in our lives that aren't pushing us towards the Lord. Community is designed to push you towards Jesus. If you don't have people in your life pushing towards Christ, get new people. If you don't have anyone to read the Bible with, not as the only time that you're in the Word, but as a supplement to it, man, let's change that. Matt Bertrand told me this yesterday. Being in the Word together empowers people to operate in the Holy Spirit. It allows the Spirit to bring Scripture to mind and allows us to point to the Bible when counseling and walking with people. That way, we don't veer into self-help. We don't veer into postmodern pop psychology within our community. If our groups are not grounded in the Word of God, then we'll devolve into any other ideology that we can think of, ideology. And so let's be people anchored in the scriptures. And let's be people who love each other and practice the one another's of scripture. What needs to change for you to grow in the Lord? Let's pray.